Today's episode features a special guest. We just wanted to remind our listeners that the views and opinions expressed by our guests don't always reflect those of Dr. Jen, Dr. Serene, and Is It Bedtime Yet? Welcome to Is It Bedtime Yet? The podcast for parents about mental health and the experience of being a parent. The podcast that discusses what it's like to be adults raising tiny humans that make us all ask, is it bedtime yet? Hi, and welcome back to Is It Bedtime Yet? I'm Dr. Jen, and I'm here remotely with Dr. Serene. Hey, Jen. Hey, Serene. And we have a special guest with us today. Uh, We have uh, Melissa Corkum, who is a parent coach. Hi, Melissa. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, So aside from being a parent coach, you do a lot of things. So I kind of just want to start by turning it over to you to tell our listeners a little bit about you and uh, what you specialize in and how you help parents. Yeah, thanks. So I guess one of the best ways to describe what I do is I always joke with parents that um, that their kids don't come with manuals, right? Or I guess that's the way parents say things to me, like, oh, I wish my kid just had a manual. <laughs> so I kind of always describe myself as kind of like that manual that your kids wished, uh, that you wished your kids had come with. And I came to this just through actually a lot of experience on my own, a lot of research. We have six kids and we started like a lot of typical families, two kids by birth, got married. I actually was still in college when we got married. And we always knew that adoption would be part of our journey. And so we adopted a two-year-old in 2009 and our kids were three and five, I think, something like that. And um, he just didn't respond to our parenting in any way that we expected and was completely different than our other two kids. And so that really took us back to the drawing board Uh, So much so that we went and became empowered to connect parent trainers. And this kind of just blew open our parenting perspective and it gave us a completely different way to think about behaviors and kids. And that just started this rabbit trail of me researching and diving into all of these things. And we eventually went on to add three more children to our family through adoption. And they were out of birth order, they're older kids. They're, they were 11, 13, and 14 when we brought them home from Ethiopia. And so they taught us an entirely new lesson about parenting and parenting teens and, uh, I mean, just so many things. And so I've just gone on to uh, kind of amass knowledge. And, and so now I'm also a, a certified life coach, a certified Enneagram coach, and a certified essential oil specialist. And I just use all of those tools to help parents find brain-based solutions because our kids have had so many stories and complex needs and diagnoses that I really needed to find something that was foundational that I could come back to regardless of you know, how they came into our family or what their diagnosis was. So can you tell us a little bit about Enneagrams? Um, what are they used for? What do, what do they tell us? Yeah, yeah. I was exposed to the Enneagram a couple years ago through a podcast, of course, as all good things come into your life these days, and was just fascinated by how succinctly the Enneagram could help wrap up all these different experiences that I had had and that I had watched my children have and watched my husband have. And, you know, Dan Siegel talks a lot about in his parenting books, you know, we name it to tame it, right? If we can put words to it, that's really helpful in how we process. And of course, you guys help people do yeah. that for your in your work. And I think the Enneagram is also 
helps it's it's simple yet complex in the way that it helps us understand personality. And so it gives us kind of a simplistic way to enter into this world of understanding all of the differences in personalities, but then has this like depth of knowledge, right? It's kind of like the iceberg, right? You can kind of see the tip and it's, so it's not too overwhelming and it's accessible, but then you could literally spend a lifetime studying all of its complexities. And so I think its versatility really lends itself to meeting people exactly where they are. So it kind of sounds like a personality test. Yeah, yeah. So it is often grouped with other personality typing systems, perhaps the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or the StrengthsFinders. And it's a map basically for self-discovery and personal growth. So it is visually represented by this kind of nine-pointed geometric figure. And Enia is nine in Greek and Gram is diagram. So it's kind of like literally this, you know, the Enneagram, this nine-pointed uh, picture, oh. and it represents nine ways that people see the world. And so I kind of think of them like if we were to give each number a uh, different colored sunglasses, then these would be nine you know, different lenses that we're interpreting the world. And everyone has a dominant type, although there's a lot of what we call movement in the Enneagram. So it recognizes how each personality kind of looks in stress and health and, and different ways that we can access different parts. And and we all have pieces of all the types. So a lot of people will say like, oh, well, I can, you know, that's, it. I don't really have a dominant type. I really... I, you know, can relate to this, this, and this. Um, and so we all have these pieces, but at the end of the day, if we can get really honest with ourselves, there is kind of this driving core motivation that is how we see the world. And that's the other thing I think that's a little bit different for the Enneagram than other personality typing systems is it really asks you to understand why you do what you do, not just looking at surface behaviors. I like that a lot. Could you give us some examples of uh, of what the different types are, just so we have an idea of like what kind of traits of personality we're we're yeah. focusing on here? So I'll do I'll do kind of like a quick tour ar- around all nine, so no one feels left sounds out. good. <laughs> um, so and none of the number like the numbering system doesn't mean anything other than a way to denote it. It's not like one's Got better it. than than nine. Like everyone has positives and negatives. Um, so the type one is sometimes called the moral perfectionist. So these are people who really their core motivation is the right thing, right? And so as parents, we're looking, we would probably look for our kids to be like the good little boys and girls. Type twos are often called the supportive advisors. So these are like the helpers in the world, right? And there's a good side and a bad side to that. You can be a really great helper, but sometimes you can be pretty assertive in your helping. Maybe no one asked you to help, right? You could be a little mm-hmm. over, over helping. And these parents probably are looking for their kids, right, to um, to serve and, and look for opportunities to help. They're probably going to point them in that direction, maybe more than other directions. That's where their focus would be. Type three parents um, or type threes are often called the successful achievers. So these are folks who are really concerned with success. They can be very goal oriented. Again, as parents, we, they might be uh, the parents that are more concerned with grades than perhaps another type on the Enneagram. Um, Type fours are often called the romantic individualists and type fours 
are, um, they tend to be really creative and very deep. They feel kind of all the things. So they, they're probably going to feel the word world first and then process it, you know, with their heart or their brain. Um, type fives are the investigative thinkers. And so these tend to be our over analytical friends, right? So as a type five parent, maybe you were the one who read, you know, 37 parenting books before you had your first child, um, or you had to feel um, intellectually ready, right? To get married or buy your first house, those types of things. A type six is often called the loyal guardian. And type sixes um, relate to kind of having this inner committee that doesn't quite always agree. So type sixes can be uh, a little bit anxious because they're they're worried about you know what might happen. Um, they're kind of fearing fear itself. They're they're often our stereotypical anxious personality. But we can also have a counterphobic six, which means that these are people who kind of reject their anxiety, and so they often dive headlong into their fears. And these are, um, you know, stereotypically, these might be your parents who, if they're not super healthy, are 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 worry warts or are helicopter parents. Mm-hmm. Um, type sevens are often called the entertaining optimists, and so these are folks who just love to have fun, but hate being stuck in pain or being bored. They just are in for all the great things in life and not in for all the bad things. And so, <laughs> these parents may be. A little bit more dismissive of kids who have big feelings or maybe, you know, their child's a four, but it's really hard for them to sit in those really hard feelings. They're the ones who are always looking on the bright side, um, looking towards the future. Type eights uh, are often called the protective challengers, and they have the biggest energy on the Enneagram, and they really fear being controlled or being weak. So these are parents that are probably often going to find themselves in power struggles with their kids, and they are really protecting a very uh, sensitive inner spirit, but they don't want anyone to know because vulnerability is really kind of scarier for them than a lot of other types on the Enneagram. And then nines sit at the top of the Enneagram and they're the peaceful mediators. And so they really just will do anything to make sure everyone is feeling peaceful. So they're constantly looking at everyone else and often forgetting even who they are. So we will often say that if a nine reads about the Enneagram, they automatically think they're all the types because they really can empathize and understand all the, Mm. the perspectives. Um, And so they're like, I I could see myself in all of those. And so we always joke that, you know, people who are like are having a really, really hard time um, often are nines and, and similarly fours uh, often because they, kind of have this unique, um, deep feeling that they will say, I'm none of the numbers, right? There's no one out there like me because <laughs> uniqueness is kind of one of their personality traits. So yeah, so that's kind of a, a quick tour around the circle, if you will. So, I mean, I guess I'll, what we talked about in one of our previous sessions is how parents don't want to parent the way they were parented. Um, so if a parent was raised in a home that was very um, anxious or very disorganized, they might want to do the opposite. Um, how does this work in terms of Enneagrams? Like if somebody was 
um, let's say for or raised in a family where the parents were closer to four, will they try to now be different or, or will they take on the personality traits or characteristics of a four? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, it's funny you say that. So my dad identifies as a six and he recognized his anxiety and he was raised by uh, his mom was super anxious and he swore he would never treat his kids like his mom treated him. And so he would have a lot of anxieties about what we were doing as, as kids, but because he had made this like pact with himself not to do that, uh, he would like mentally think, I don't want them to do that. And then think I'm not going to treat them like my mom did. And then just give us permission to kind of do whatever, even though inside it was like a wrestling match. So I think for sure it plays out. And there's so many other, you know, pieces to all of these, um, you know, those are pretty stereotypical pictures across, across all nine types. But, you know, if you think about colors, um, you know, if a type six were orange, you know, there's 47 million shades of orange, right? So there's not all sixes will look exactly the same. And, and so that's why it's really important to kind of spend a little bit of time in self-reflection and why, knowing your type isn't really the beginning of your Enneagram journey, just even starting to understand it at all. At some point, you'll start to really identify with a type, but the whole journey in itself has so much to teach us just about humanity. Yeah, which, which kind of leads me to my question is, it sounds like really discovering what your type is, is a process. So so if somebody's like looking at an Enneagram or is like, oh, I can kind of identify with one or maybe multiple of these. So how would a person really kind of hone in on what their type is or like how to how to identify where they fit on that spectrum? I think the best thing is to, depending on your learning style, pick up a book. There are, are quite a few great primers out there that give a broad overview, broad enough that you can read through all nine types without getting bogged down, but with enough detail that you can really get a better idea of, of how you identify. Um, mm-hmm. There are some assessments out there. They're only like 70-ish percent accurate. So never consider okay. them like your end-all, be-all. Kind of like, um, I feel like you take strengths finders like is an assessment, but Enneagram isn't. It really started out more as a narrative tradition. So I would say, you know, read a book, maybe take an assessment, use all of those as pieces to understand, you know, grab a typing session with a coach like myself or, or somebody else. Um, so a lot of therapists and mental health professionals actually are, even if they're not certified, are aware enough to, to you know, maybe bring that into sessions. Um or if you're like a listening kind of person, there are also a fantastic podcasts out there and you can kind of listen. That was the most valuable to me because podcasts often will interview different people and they'll identify their type before their interview. And so you kind of get to see different types, you know, played out in real life and you and they'll say things and you'll be like, oh, I really identify with that or, or I thought I was that, but but I've heard three people talk about this thing and I'm not sure I identify with that. And so you start to you know, get a bigger picture of yourself. And then also remember that our purest personality comes out somewhere in like our early twenties, you know, as we're, once we're out from underneath our parents. So when we're living on our own, um, but before we have like a ton of experiences that can really impact, um, you know, how we see the world or, or how we act in it. Um, I mistyped as a type one for a for over a year, but my true number, a type seven, looks like a one in stress. And of course we had 
you know, adopted four kids. We were parenting mm-hmm. under extreme circumstances and I had kind of forgotten really who I was. And so I was answering all these assessments and thinking about all these things and identifying like, yep, type one, type one, type one. And then, you know, people were talking about type sevens and I thought, well, that kind of resonates with me. And then I had to think back like, well, who was I when I was 20? Well, I was way more fun and way more about the adventure and and the things that sevens are kind of more known for. So um, it is, it is a fascinating journey, but be patient with yourself and, and nothing you learn about the Enneagram will be for naught. Even if you learn a ton about a type one, because you're trying it on and then you figure out it's not you, you know, somebody in your life who's a type one, who now that you understand them better, you will be a much better friend and more compassionate person. I really love the emphasis that this all brings to like the introspectiveness and that it's about like your own journey and that, you know, even if you take an assessment or even if you read a book, like it's not about like somebody else telling you what your type is. It's really about your journey and like your introspective process. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that was so hard for me to learn was how much control I didn't have over my kids. And Mm -hmm. they have some big personalities and they have some big behaviors and, and a lot of different things. And I think I, I thought as a parent, you know, because I was supposed to be in charge that if I, did it right, if I met their needs correctly, or if I gave them the correct consequences or whatever it was, right, that I could kind of shape their behavior. And we look at, you know, when you look at a kid tantruming in a store, you know, at least my personality would be like, <laughs> like, if only she would blank, you know, like, like the parents were kind of at fault for how our kids behaved in public, especially if it was outside kind of like the societal norms. And, mm-hmm. um, and so this idea of, you know, I'm only in charge of myself was one of the biggest takeaways that I had from parenting in really extreme circumstances. And it was the thing that helped me kind of heal from that journey and and kind of get out of the, the cycle of the drama and the crazy. And so having something like the Enneagram that really did guide me and give me a place to go um, without shame and without saying like, I was just a terrible person that needed to change, but kind of gently told me, you know, this is who you are, both your strengths and what you could look like when you're not doing so well and, you know, take it all. And then it also gives us practices to be our best selves within our personality type. So when I was reading about uh, Enneagrams in preparation for this episode, um, I found myself not only trying to assign myself a number, trying to fit or find a number that fit who I am and my personality. And um, I also found myself trying to, I guess, assign a number or, or find the number type for um, my kiddos or my spouse or um, people I know when I, when I read, for example, a, a number, let's say a number nine, I was like, Oh, I, I know somebody like this. This sounds like so-and-so. Um, and I, I, that got a little bit tricky. I guess it, it can get tricky, right? So what's the what's the purpose of this? Is it to find who you are and look at the world um, from your perspective and find the number that best suits you and your personality or to also um, find a number that might that might fit the personality of your your friends or your family members or your kiddos or your partner? 
Yeah, for sure it can. I think we have to be careful though, because the Enneagram is this personal journey. Our first inclination, if you're anything like me, right, is to then want to type your kids, your friends, your kid, you know, your husband, your boss, <laughs> all the, you know, your past high school teachers, all the people that you had conflict in life. And so, um, you know, my mentor will, will say, don't use it as a sword or a shield. So using it as a sword, right, is to see somebody doing something that you don't necessarily agree with and say, like, you're being such a one, right? Stop being so critical. Um, And then the shield part would be like, um, well, I'm a seven. I don't really like hard things anyway, so I don't don't really have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) That feels so much like when people first go into, like, psychology and studying psychology and they automatically want to, like, diagnose everybody in their life and diagnose themselves and then kind of view the world from that perspective. But um, but like you said, it, it's really important to not use it. I like that phrase as a sword or a shield. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But all that to say, right, we know that they're going to fall somewhere on the circle and uh, we can make pretty educated guesses a lot of times on which numbers they're not. Um, and so, Serene, say you think your son or you're hypothesizing your son is probably like a seven. So, and if you can take away some practical things from that that are helpful to you, like all the more power to you. Like that, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. However, right, you don't want to start like, again, with the sword thing, like walking around, like saying to your son, like, you know, you know, if you were, if you weren't a seven, you wouldn't, you know, do X, Y, or Z, right? So we want to kind of keep to ourselves the thoughts that we have about the- Got it who our kids are and their their number types, because we won't really want them to be able to have their own journey without thinking, well, my mom thinks I'm a seven, so I must be a seven, right? So we want them to be able to have their own independent journey. And so we can certainly start explaining the Enneagram to them in general senses. Like we know that there are nine ways that people see the world and we can start telling them a little bit about each of the types without necessarily leading them on just with open-ended questions and um and because they are so influenced by us as as parents in their lives uh, we want to give space that that he may be motivated to do things heavily based on you know your own parental expectations and that might shift once he's 20 and living on his own in college um and so we don't want to box him in into thinking I'm, this is just the way I am. So, but, but for sure we can, you know, our granddaughter is 18 months old. So she's, you know, she hasn't been around a lot, a long time, but, but we know from watching her that she is like probably not a type nine, right? She is, she is loud and she is assertive and she knows exactly what she wants and <laughs> she is not afraid of anybody or anything, you know? And so I can kind of look at the nine types and think, well, there's a couple that I'm pretty sure she's not right. Because she just ca- came out um, a, independent and, and there are, you know, three, types on the Enneagram that are known for their assertiveness and their independence. And so I'm going to assume that she'll probably identify with one of those when she gets old enough, but that does help us know that she doesn't, she needs us uh, as an assertive type to stand our ground, right? Because strong uh, child personalities, especially going up against a, a quieter more dependent personality type, a lot of times parents, right, will start to roll over to that, right? Like, oh, she knows what she wants, or it's it's too hard to fight her on it. Um, but, you know, those independent kids need us to take a stand so that they can understand, you know, about authority and about, um, you know, they need high nurture for sure, but they also need high structure to know where the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like some kids that are rule followers, right, they kind of set their own boundaries, you know, like they need boundaries, but you don't have to be the one to enforce them. 
because they're looking to comply. Um, and God bless you if you have one of those kids. <laughs> we kind of went through all the questions that we had. Um, but I guess one one question that we didn't really touch on, because the focus was really about like parenting and how this can help with the parents' connection with their kids. But um, but it seems like this would also be really helpful for relationships as well. And for maybe somebody who's trying to figure out their partner or how to maybe better co-parent with their partner or with their you know, whoever their co-parent is. Um, so how, how could knowing your own uh, type and maybe your, your co-parent or your partner's type uh, help, help with that process? I think the best question that the Enneagram gives us is the question, how are you experiencing this, whatever this is? And I think it works really well with our kids. Uh It works well with friends. It works well with spouses, co-parents, partners, bosses, because I think there's an assumption that there are certain absolute truths in the world, which there are. But I think like for my husband and me, we are similar types. And so when the two of us talk about something that's happening with our kids and we both have come out with the same opinion because we have similar personality types, we tend to think we must be right because we both agree, right? But we're not taking into account some of the other personalities and numbers across the Enneagram and the way that our kids might be experiencing a certain situation and why it might be so hard for them to you know, let go or move on or do whatever the thing is that we're asking them to do. So we can kind of get in this echo chamber. And so I think the Enneagram reminds us to be open to other experiences. Um, But if you have two parents who are not similar types, that question allows us to have a conversation without being defensive, right? So if if your child gets in trouble at school and as a perhaps you're one parent where, you know, breaking the rules is like literally you'd rather die, right? Than, <laughs> than break the rules yourself or have a child who's known for breaking the rules, right? Because you just want everyone to be good and follow the rules and do the right thing. Um, whereas if you are co-parenting with maybe a type eight, who's a little bit more independent, that type eight might be thinking, well, you know, were you standing up for someone? You know, was there a good reason? <laughs> to break that rule. Like they, they're coming into it, asking different questions. And so if we're not taking that into consideration and leaving that conversation open, right, then we're going to have different um, reactions to it. And then we're going to react to each other's reactions because we don't understand them. And a lot of times when we don't understand it, we think it must be wrong. I don't know how you could possibly see it that way. Right. So I think this question how did you experience that? Like as our opening question gives us opening dialogue and then we can land on a plan or a strategy or something that allows us to both be satisfied with how we're going to then respond rather than react to a situation. That makes so much sense. It sounds like being able to have like a more full picture in terms of uh, like a more full perspective on everybody's experiences but it just sounds like it's it's really helpful in terms of getting a, a bigger picture of things. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's totally yeah. opened up my, um, I, I think, compassion and empathy just for everything about all the things, you know, because I just yeah. think I always just assume, you know, my definition of respect is everyone's definition of respect. And that's not always the case. Um, yeah. So even that has helped me 
explain things to my kids even better so they can understand what my expectations are. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm so curious. This is sort of taking a left, a left turn for a minute, but, um, since, since you kind of dove, you dove into this when you, uh, you know, when you began your parenting journey and your adoption journey, what were you doing before you, uh, took this career turn, uh, to, to dive into like Enneagrams and life coaching and parent coaching and all of that? Um, what, what, what was your previous life before you dove into this? Yeah. Well, my <laughs> life as a parent started pretty early on. I was, uh, just over, or I was, let's see, in my almost 21 when we had our first son. So I was, I was still in college. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my life hadn't really, I guess, started yet in, in a lot of ways, but my degree is in mechanical engineering. So I'm a, I'm a math and science minded girl, which I think is why brain science is how I like to kind of look at parenting. And I, yeah, so I was a stay at home ish mom, you know, just a mom, we adventured a lot, you know, going back to my seven type, I always laughed that like stay at home mom was such a terrible name for me because I wasn't, you know, expected at a job necessarily, but we never right. were at home. <laughs> and, um, and yes, yeah, so I, I dabbled in all kinds of things that allowed me to be as fully present for my kids as I could. And I was, you know, totally privileged to have a husband who was supportive of that and who financially could support our family. And when we became parent trainers, I just started getting a lot of phone calls and I was blogging a little bit and Facebook groups were started, st starting up <laughs> and I was sharing our struggles that it was hard, that adoption wasn't all rainbows and fairy tales. Yeah. And, um, and people started saying, I get it. We're in that place too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think my engineering problem solving mind, I just, I wasn't satisfied until I had the answers until I had, you know, and I'm a, also a teacher kind of at heart. So I, um, all the work that I did in engineering was in engineering education. So I think that, propensity to just impart knowledge for other people, um, naturally developed into this desire to coach and basically be the resource for parents that wasn't available to us when we were kind of at the worst place in our journey. Well, it sounds like this was just sort of a logical direction for your life to go and for your career to go. Yeah. And it feels really fulfilling. Like I feel like I'm using yeah. all of my, you know, all my strengths and all my gifts and, um, it, you know, helping parents manage really challenging behaviors meets my sevens need to like never be bored because kids are always throwing us, you know, curveballs that we weren't expecting. And so it keeps Absolutely. me on my toes and I, and I really enjoy that particular part. <laughs> yeah. It helps us understand where the other person is coming from and how we might get our communication wires crossed. I think it also helps us have grace for things. So like I tend, I shared earlier that my personality tends to get really critical under stress, right? And so before the Enneagram, when I would start getting really critical of my kids and my husband, they would just escalate, right? Because it doesn't feel good to be criticized. And, you know, when you are criticized, the first knee-jerk reaction is always to be defensive. But now, you know, this critical nature in me kind of acts like this rumble strip for everyone, including me. So if I notice it, I can be like, oh, Melissa, what's going on? Like, this is probably not about them. This is probably much more about you. 
But mm-hmm. my husband, because he's so fabulous and he's, you know, absorbed some of my Enneagram uh, obsession over the past, <laughs> you know, four or five years, uh, he notices it. And so instead of just being defensive, he could say, hey, you know, it seems like you had a really hard day or what's going on that's got you so stressed out or, hey, would you like to just go grab a cup of coffee, right? He can diffuse it because he has the compassion to know that that criticalness is not about him. It's about me struggling. And so I think that's radically changed the way that we relate to each other. And I imagine a lot of other parents and hopefully some of our listeners could find this information really useful. Um, I just see a lot of benefits in terms of like how to gain more insight into yourself and maybe your parenting strategies or maybe like what your your inclinations are as a parent. Um, and then also, like you said, as a way to better understand our kids and our relationship with our kids and how to best parent them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I have a free gift for your people. Would that be okay? Can I share that? Uh- Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So as you're talking, I have a a book called The Enneagram for Busy Parents. It's an ebook. And so I would love for your folks to be able to grab that for free. Um, So I will set up a page for you guys. Um, So the website that they can go to is thecorkboardonline.com slash is it bedtime yet? Wow. Thank you so much. I'm I'm excited to check that out. Well, and so so on that on that line, um, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you or learn more, or um, if you want to provide some contact information, where where could they reach out to you, or how can they learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, so my website is thecorkboardonline.com, Just a little bit of a play on our last name, and so that's probably the best way to. Um, find out more about what I do. There's links and a contact page and social media handles and all of those things on there. Um, So, or if you look up my name, Melissa Corkum or the Corkboard Parenting um, in any of the places I should pop up. Well, great. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I know I learned a lot and I hope our, our listeners learned a lot and we really appreciate you taking the time to, to educate us a little bit about what you do. Well, it was my privilege. Thank you so much, ladies, for having me. And for our listeners, if you have any questions for us or um, if you have any thoughts about this episode, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us is a bedtime yet podcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram where we'll have a little bit more information about um, about how to access the free ebook on there. Um, so on Instagram, it's at is it bedtime yet podcast with underscores between each of the words. And on Facebook, is it bedtime yet podcast? And for today, this is Dr. Jen and Dr. Serene asking, is it bedtime yet? 